Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So we are doing a new series that Sai started last week. Um, it's never fun to follow Sai, but I'm going to try anyway because he makes it such a hard job to raise the bar and I'll try and catch up with that um, called doing Journey to Emmanuel so Journey to the awareness and the knowledge of God with us and looking at the Christmas story um, a little bit early in November but that's quite alright um, yeah. Yeah. and this will feel very Christmassy as well because I'm about to read part of the Christmas story so um, and looking at the characters that, that move their way towards Jesus being born so I si looked at from a kind of almost a a much further distance back, but looking at Israel moving themselves towards Christ and the Christ being being born and, and moving towards their inner disposition, the way that they conducted themselves, the way that they saw things, the way that they interacted, um, who they were being ones that imitated him as opposed to imitated those around him. And you started looking at that. And then we're going to look at today, um, and we're calling them the wise men for now, we're going to look at the wise men and then we're going to also look at shepherds, Mary, Joseph and Jesus himself and what it was for him to step from heaven and step into being the baby that was born in the manger. Um, so we're going to look at the wise men. Now I'm going to control myself because I'm not going to go there yet but if you just turn to Matthew 2 because they're not really wise men as such. Just go to Matthew 2. Matthew, if you could just go to Matthew 2 as well. Okay, so it's going to feel Christmassy, so just imagine you're sitting by a nice open fire, drinking eggnog, which obviously we do in the UK. Eggnog feels Christmassy. It is a thing. I've never drank it. I don't think it's very nice, is it? But um, Drinking mulled wine, let's do that. Imagine you're drinking mulled wine. Okay, so now, verse, so Matthew 2, verse 1, says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, polled wise men, notice it says in the margin of maybe your Bible, maybe depending on what you're reading, it says the Magi, um, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he, would, when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is it written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, or Magi, uh, determined from them what time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem to, and said go and search carefully for the young child and when you have found him bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also it's like the worst light in the world isn't it but anyway um, when they heard the king um, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So, there is so much stuff in this. 
But I want to focus on a couple of things because it's very hard not to get distracted when I'm, I'm doing this and we will be here most of the day. Um, so we're going to focus on two, one word twice and that is the word behold. So when, when the writer has mentioned the word behold, um, behold effectively means to look intently or if you are a teacher or a parent, it means, please come and look at what I'm showing you right now. Come and look at it. Please come and look at it. Please come and focus on it. And kind of try and get those kids' attention to actually focus on the bit you want them to focus on at that point in time, like eating their dinner or doing their work in their book or whatever it may be. But it means behold. It means come and focus on this thing I want you to focus on right now. Now, Matthew mentions that word twice in this passage. He says it first. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem the whole point of that is him saying behold wise men from the east came he didn't say behold Jesus was born his focus here isn't the fact that look I want you to look really intently at the fact Jesus was born because that's where we all focus isn't it it's a Christmas story we're focusing the, the baby in the manger I'm not undermining that but that's not what he's drawing our attention to he's saying look behold Look, guys, look, pay attention to this. There's wise men from the east coming. That's significant because these are not three kings, as the story goes. The, it doesn't mention anywhere in any account of scripture that there were three kings. Okay, we've made that up. Not, it's not in the Bible. So we, we have made it up. We made it up probably because there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it fits nicely that one of them brings gold, one of them brings frankincense, and one of them brings myrrh. Therefore, we assume it's three. And it might be three. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be three. If you look at historical pictures around the time that created, some suggest two, some suggest ten, some suggest three. The number doesn't matter, but the point is they're not these kind of three kings that we picture riding on camels across the desert in a line, silhouetted in the, with the kind of sky, and just this kind of picturesque things. These are not three kings. They're not three kings. They are rich, and they are wealthy, but they're not kings. And the Bible doesn't even refer to them as kings. But, 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 but we have attached this idea of kings from somewhere because it sounds cool that kings came to lay their crowns down before Jesus. And it sounds wonderful and all that kind of stuff. There's an element of that. In this version, it says they're wise men. Now, that is still not particularly a clear description of actually who they are. Um, because it leads us down an avenue that they are still these kind of like... Um, wise, noble men who have been waiting for Jesus to be born forever and want to come and just um, share with Jesus their kind of belief in the prophecies that were there and their kind of belief in, in Jesus and all that kind of stuff and it creates this kind of like, again sanitised version of it they're actually, if you read it, it says they're a magi now, you don't have to be particularly good at English to realise that the word magi is very, very close to the word magic and it's where we get the idea of magic from Okay, these guys were sorcerers. They were not neat and tidy, kind of lovely kings that presented nice or wise men. They were sorcerers. They were more likely pagan sorcerers who were looking at the stars and the moon and all that kind of stuff and looking and engaging in not Jesus, but whatever supernatural element they could get involved in. So this is not some kind of lovely Christmas story that we bring it down to this is guys who are extreme to the story of jesus and israel this is not like they fitted into it in some way in terms of the history of israel because if we look at the history of israel you don't have to turn there 
But if we look at it in Deuteronomy 18, I'll read it to you. This is what the law says about guys who practice magic. Deuteronomy 18. And it says this. This is where I should be clever like size so and have little post-it notes in my Bible. I'm ready to go to it. Deuteronomy 18 verse 9 says this. When you come into the land which the Lord God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the, the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or soothsaying, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, a medium, a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all those things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of those abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. These guys don't fit into the narrative of the people of God. They are extreme to that. They're, they're, they are separated from that idea that God is speaking against them. And yet, for some reason, these guys come and see Jesus. These are the kings and the shepherds from our nativity story. These are the two main people that come. And yet these guys come, not religious leaders, not the scribes or the Pharisees, not even the prostitute or the poor, but pagan sorcerers. People that are more closely connected to Harry Potter and Hogwarts than they would be to Israel. And not even Harry Potter and Hogwarts, but probably Slytherin within (laughs) that kind of group. That they're not close. You could probably argue, in some senses, some of what they practice is probably more dark artish than the nice magic that Harry Potter and his friends practice. They're, they're probably more that way because they're into this sorcery stuff. And yet, that's why Matthew's going, look, look, pay attention to this, guys. This is not something I want you to miss. I want you to see that these people, these dark art practicing magicians, these sorcerers, these guys who worship the sun, the moon, the stars, who focus on that, that stuff, these guys are coming to see Jesus. These guys. Just so we see that this isn't a theme that then changes in the New Testament. Acts 13. We'll do Acts 8 first, just to go chronological order. Acts 8. I'm just going to read to you what Peter says. Okay. Now when the apostles who were Jews there, let me check I've got it right bit. Sorry, verse 9. But then, Acts 8 verse 9. There was a certain man called... Uh, Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he had some great, um, that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the, the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And Simon himself also believed, and he was baptized and continued with Philip, and he was amazed seeing the miracles and signs that were done. And it talks about another example in a moment. But the idea that this stuff is not like the church has just gone, okay, actually, now, yeah. Wise men came to Jesus, magicians came to Jesus, therefore will accept them out. They're still not accepting this. And yet, for some reason, in our Christian story, in our birth of Jesus story these kings, these wise men, these dark art sorcerers are the ones who are coming to Jesus and it's this strange idea that why are these guys coming who are so far extreme I won't read it but Acts 13.6 Paul also challenges and, and addresses this kind of sorcery aspect within the church and that people 
trying to influence and affect what's going on with the church. So there's still a challenge of these things. It's not like that God's gone, okay, we'll let magicians in now, that, that's fine. That's not the attitude here, but there's some reason that Matthew's going, look, behold, these guys are coming. Not because we lowered our standards or because we said, actually, that's okay now, but because there's something significant about why they came, why they were drawn. I think it's very challenging that these guys, let me read another bit. If you go to Matthew 2 again, I want to just draw back into one bit. I think it's a fascinating thing, and if we think about it, it's quite profound. It says this. Verse 2, Matthew 2. The, the three magicians were saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Again, the idea of east is the idea of away from God. Um, but we've seen his star in the east. That we've seen his star in the east. That's not a practice that, again, would be encouraged by God for the people of Israel, the children of Israel to do, or by Paul or Peter in the New Testament to practice stargazing and astrology and those kind of things. And yet somehow, in their search in that realm of things, that linked them into Jesus. That helped them to see something. Now that's not because Jesus is in all religions, and that's not because Jesus is in all methods of doing that, because that's not true. But it is because Jesus shines brighter than anything. And therefore, no matter what my, their focus might have been, no matter what their intention might have been in their astrology, their stargazing, their, their searching for the supernatural power, their kind of practice of the dark arts, no matter what their intention may have been, because Jesus shines brighter, because he is the ultimate, he is the only way, truth and the life, because he is that, that even in that, that way of gazing on a star, he shines bright through that. That somehow his light turns up in the most dark of places. Somehow he ends up and people who are searching, people who are interested, people who are looking for something beyond themselves, which these guys were. These magicians were looking for something to give them significance, to give them power, to give them relevance, to give them control, whatever we may do. And we can look at it as a dark arts thing, but everybody does the same thing. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody's trying to find something to give me meaning, to give me purpose, to give me a sense of identity. And these guys were looking for it in that. And yet even in that, even in somehow, in what they were gazing upon, Jesus shined through in what they were gazing upon. That in the thing they were looking to to give them identity, they found the very one who would give them that identity. Not in what they were practicing, not in what they were doing, but he shone through somehow into their world, that the people in our society today that might be at the extremes, might be practicing things that are not okay, they are not good, they're not good for them, they're not good for other people, and yet somehow, in that space, because Jesus shines brightest, he shines through in that environment, somehow he shows up in that space that seems so opposite to him, because he shines brighter than anything else, and that they saw his star, they saw him in the darkness of what they were searching. They saw him in the blackness of what they were practicing. And he shone through in that and brought them to himself. That Jesus is wooing and calling and encouraging every single person on the planet, no matter how far extreme they might be, no matter what they may be practicing, to come near to him. 
that he's speaking to people, he's calling people, saying, come on, come and be back, come and be near, come to Emmanuel, come to the, where God is, come here. And he did the same thing with these. Now, I believe that's why Matthew's saying, look, behold this, focus on this, that these guys who are at the extreme are being called near. That it's not the story that let's bring the people that are already near a bit nearer, but let's bring those who are at the extreme. Let's bring the kings or the wise men or the black art magicians. Let's bring them near. Because let me speak to them and somehow shine bright in whatever they're searching in. Let me bring them near. Because Jesus is going, look, even at my birth, my arms are out wide and I'm saying, no matter where they are, no matter the extremities of what they're doing, no matter whether they're involved in this darkness over here, my light still shines. And they still see it. And they still get it. And they still follow it. And it brings them to me. Do we have organisations and groups today who are doing atrocious things across the world, that, that are violating human rights, left, right and centre, that are doing things that are destroying humanity because they're looking for some kind of sense of purpose. They're looking for some kind of sense of identity. Something that has got so warped that we look in on it and go, how is that ever going to find bring you satisfaction? And yet I believe that somehow in that situation, Jesus still shines brightest. And somehow in their pursuit of what we see as death and destruction and, and, and atrocities that are just unspeakable and unthinkable, Jesus still shines bright. And they still see him. And they still catch him. And, he, and, and we have a responsibility. Let me show you why, because I've jumped well ahead of what I was going to go on to there. But if you go to Isaiah 60, because these guys were looking for something. They were studying the stars to try and find something. The people are studying war and those things to try and find something and yet Jesus somehow shines through Isaiah 60 because doesn't this sound like it is literally the description of these guys Isaiah 60 verse 1 arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings, or the wise men, or the black art, black art magicians, to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become ready, and your heart shall feel swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall come to your land, or cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephraim, all those in Sheba shall come. They shall bring, listen, gold and incense. They, they shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. And, all, and the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together. The idea is that people are coming to this light. That these kings, these wise men, these black art magicians are coming and bringing what they have to this light. That Jesus is the light of the world. Now the challenge for us and the encouragement for us and the realisation for us is that Jesus is the light of the world, but he has made, and we know, he has made us that. That he said to the people that were with him, he said, look, 
You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That Jesus is saying, look, I've risen. It's saying, look, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That we now stand as a point going, okay, let that light shine. Let it shine. Let it shine in the way that I speak to the people I encounter. Let it shine in the way that I smile. Let it shine in the way that I am generous with my time, with my money. Let it shine in the different ways it can shine. And what starts to happen is people from every extreme start to be drawn to that light. Not the light of me, but the light of the one that I represent. The light of Jesus. That in my workplace, the extremes of society start to be drawn to that light. That I stand in the same way that Jesus did with open arms and go, the extremes of society, come on in. That Matthew's trying to get across to us the fact that these wise men, these magi, were attracted to the light that Jesus was. They were attracted to him. And yet in that attractiveness, they were drawn. And they found him. And they came to him. In the same way that, that we let our light shine before men, it talks about. And then men are attracted. They're the people are drawn from all extremes of society and we as a community and for me as an individual uh, my mind is shifting from set things about what I'm expecting to see in terms of people just realize actually God you just, just bring whoever let whoever be drawn close it might be a journey that started years ago and they might still be on that journey towards that but let me just be open hearted that whoever comes for however long open arms in the same way that Jesus drew people to himself. Just go back to Matthew 2. It says, Okay, I'm going to jump part way down again because we said we look at this word behold twice. So Herod has wanted them to just a bit quick. So Herod wants the wise man or the magi to, to tell him where Jesus is going to be and to come and t- report back to him so he can go and worship him as well. Herod is threatened by Jesus because he sees him as a, as a usurping king to take over from him. Now, the wise men know where he is. They, they, they then follow him. Now, the interesting thing for me is this. It says this. Um, when they heard the king, they departed and behold... The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Notice it's still the same method that they're following to find Jesus. That at this point in time, the method they are using to find Jesus hasn't changed. They're still following the star. They're still following the method, the practice that they've followed before, and that practice is still leading them to Jesus. Which is a challenge. Because there's some... We have groups like ISIS, we have, we have um, other religious groups, even some expressions of Christianity that are doing certain things that, that look opposite to that. And these guys were astrologers following the stars and it looks like it's not okay, but it's still the same method. They're still, they've seen something, they're, they're longing for something and they followed something. They're like, we're going to follow that star. We're going to follow that star and wherever it ends up, that's where we're going. And that, they're, 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 that Jesus is shining bright in that situation. They're following the star and then it says this and I love this bit it's just so beautiful 
It says, Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced, they, sorry, they, they rejoiced and were exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. I just love the fact that they were rejoicing at the fact that they saw the star because the star had brought them somewhere. But when they came in, and Jesus probably isn't a baby at this point in time. He's probably not an infant in a manger. Um, He's probably a bit older than that. But when they came in, when they saw him, they bowed down and worshipped. Did they rejoice that they saw the star? When they saw him, they bowed down and worshipped. That whatever method had brought them to that point, when they saw him, i.e. the one that they'd been brought to, the one that their method had led them to, then they bowed down and worshipped. Then they said, actually, the star, well, great, we followed it, it's led us to this point, but actually, this is who we've come for. This is the one. And they bowed down and worshipped. They're these people from so far extreme that you wouldn't have said, those people will be people that will bow down and worship Jesus. Well, they will never do that. They will never, ever come into that intimate relationship with Jesus. They they will never ever worship him. They, they will never ever bow down before him. And yet these people that maybe are written off, maybe said, actually, no way, that will never happen. No way, that, that's not going to be. They're firstly the ones that they, the story accounts. And secondly, they're, they're the ones that when they meet him, when they encounter him, bow down and worship him. Whatever has gone before in their minds that have led them to that point when they met him, they bowed down and worshipped him. And the beautiful thing about this is that up until this point, they had been following their old methodology to get them to Jesus. They get to Jesus, they bow down and worship him, and it changes them. Because then it says, I'm going to read into two parts of this, and I'm going to use preacher's license, because I want to paint a picture here that's going to help us kind of understand, I believe, something that went on. Verse 12 says this, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. That up until this point, they had followed a star. Up until this point, they had followed astrology. Up until this point, they probably followed old practices. And then they bow down and worship Jesus. And at that point, they're divinely warned in a dream. They're not warned by a star. They're not warned by old practices. They're divinely warned in a dream. In a similar way that you read afterwards, that Joseph is divinely warned in a dream to take Jesus away from where he is. That they're divinely warmed. That, that, that something changed in them when they bowed down and worshipped Jesus. That no matter what their history was, when they encountered the light, when they encountered the brightest one, that they bowed down and worshipped and it changed them. And the beautiful thing about this, obviously it's talking about them going back another way because they're divinely warned not to go to Herod. But I just love the language that it says um, they, they departed for their own country another way. That they went another way. That they didn't go the same way that they came. That when they encountered Jesus, that they'd come a certain way to encounter Jesus. And when they encountered him, they went a different way. Mm. That the people that we see in society, the the people we meet, that sometimes, even now, I will still go, that's never going to happen. They're the ones that Jesus is wooing. And my challenge to myself is, am I going to allow God to woo them through me? Or am I going to be someone that's actually, no way. No way, that, that's not going to happen. I'm going to open my heart enough to go, actually, yeah, you're wooing them. No matter what characteristics they display, no matter what practices they, they display, God, you're wooing them. You're calling them here. 
you, you, you're drawing them near and knowing that actually when they meet you, Jesus, that they bow down and worship, when they meet you, Jesus, that it changes something and it means that they go a different way. They don't go back the same way that they came before. That it's not based on disciplines or practices or all those things that are great and no, nothing wrong with that that changes somebody. But it's based on the fact that when they encounter Jesus, it causes them to go a different way. It causes them to not go the same way that they went before. And I believe that for us as well, the, the challenge is not just opening our minds and opening our hearts to that but to the fact that he woos everybody but the fact that he is doing exactly the same thing with us exactly the same thing that, that this story resonates with us for, for two reasons in my opinion the first one it resonates with us that actually we need to make sure our hearts and minds are open to the most extreme of the extreme but secondly that we realise actually sometimes we fit into this bracket of the most extreme of the extreme that whatever it is in my heart, that God is still wooing me. Whatever it is that I am looking to, I might not be looking to a star. I might not be looking to the, the dark arts. I might not be looking to those things. But what am I looking to? What am I focused on to try and find that sense of identity? What am I focused on to try and find that sense of re- reassurance? Even in that space, Jesus still goes, I'm going to find you in that space. I'm going to woo you in that space. I'm going to call you in that space. I'm going to be the one that draws me closer to him in that space. That am I looking for acceptance? Am I longing? Am I doing whatever it takes to be accepted? That in that place, Jesus is still going, okay, that's fine. You might be looking for that in your work. You might be looking for that in your friends. You might be looking for that in your, your Facebook status. Whatever it might be. But actually, even in that space, I'm going to woo you in that space and draw you near. And let you come to the one that gives you acceptance beyond anything. Or am I looking for a sense of power and success? And therefore, I'm going to find that in all these different spaces. And he's going, even in those spaces, I'm going to woo you in those spaces. I'm going to shine brighter than all that other stuff. And you're going to start to follow me in that space. I'm going to bring you, bring you closer to myself. And as I do, and as I draw closer to him, and as I realise that he is with me more and more, and as I realise that he loves me, and he... he he accepts me and as he, he is pleased with me, I end up encountering him afresh and bowing down and worshipping and it causes me to leave a different way. That this isn't just an account of three magicians who were wonderfully changed by meeting Jesus, but this is an account of me being wonderfully changed by meeting him. And the realisation actually, God, I just almost rest a little bit and go, okay. Yeah, I'm probably following a star. I'm probably following Facebook likes. I'm probably following acceptance. But actually, I thank you that you, I'm gonna, you're wooing me in that space. And I want to come close to you and I want to bow down and worship you. I'm just going to come and be with you and know that actually that changes me. That transforms me. Because my encounter with you is what transforms me. And by that, I leave a different way. I don't come back the same way I came but I leave a different way the Matthew wants us to grab the idea that these guys are extreme and therefore because they are it includes all of us that if it had been someone near there's potential for exclusion but because they're not near it includes all of us. And Sai's so going to talk about shepherds next week and they go the other side of the spectrum. 
And what we start to find is actually that with Israel, they might be near in some senses. You've got the shepherds, you've got the, the wise men, you might have Mary and Joseph. We suddenly find there's this all-encompassing heart of God, this all-encompassing circle that just includes all. And that those people might be near and take 40 years to get closer, or might be far and take a few weeks as wise men to come near, or might be shepherds who are excluded by everybody else, but drawn in by him. And the beautiful thing is that that means we are drawn near by him, no matter what the failure might be, no matter what the current pursuit might be, no matter what the current situation might be, he is wooing us nearer. And this story speaks of that. A God who is going, come on, come nearer. Wherever you are, come nearer. And as that starts to penetrate my heart, I echo that call. And I be, like it says in Isaiah 60, I let my light shine. That light goes, look, come nearer. God's calling you nearer. He wants you nearer. He loves you no matter what position you're in, no matter where you might have been, what you might have experienced, what you might have gone through. He's drawing you near. And I believe the wisdom of God is coming to help us practically understand how to deal with those situations and manage those situations because it will take wisdom. But we don't need to be scared because he's drawing us near. He's drawing people near. Jesus, I just thank you that, Holy Spirit, you are... Holy Spirit, that you are drawing us nearer to Jesus you're drawing us nearer to your heart thank you that you're always with us you never leave us or forsake us but thank you you're making us realise just how close we are no matter how extreme and how far away we feel you're making us realise just how close we are and let it be something that explodes in our hearts explodes in our minds that you're drawing us near you're wooing us near in Jesus name Amen have a good day everybody